My name is Angel Gates. What we're doing, we're making sound. Yeah, Angel Gates. Hey, man. What's up? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. It's a long time coming. Indeed. Like we, hello, everybody. It's uh, Making Sound with Jan Close, episode 76. And uh, how's it going, everybody? It's good to be back. And my guest, um, my new friend who I met at the uh, Woodstock Film Festival a few weeks ago. God, I can't believe how long that is already. Like, it seems like yesterday. We had such a good time. Uh, at the Woodstock Film Festival in Woodstock, New York, I met young Mr. Angel Gates. And I'll tell you a little you bit about everybody? this guy. Yeah. And what? No, I said, how you doing, everybody? I'm, uh, how are you doing, everybody? Yeah, we're not live. You know, we're, we're, we're a podcast. So this will be... Uh, but, you know, everyone right now is going... Uh, who are these people? What are they talking? Talk, are, talk, are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? Uh, so, folks, let me tell you a little bit about um, Angel Gates. Angel was born in the South Bronx. Boogie down Bronx, baby. And he uh, now lives in the Hudson Valley. Very nice. Good for you. Since 2016. He works, he's a filmmaker, first of all. This man is a filmmaker. So it's a little, we have a little bit uh, different different vibe today. Usually we have, we have a lot of musicians. I'm a musician, you know, but I've worked in film and um, I love the medium of film. So uh, we like to mix things up here on Making Sound. So uh, Angel is now working with an organization or actually a, a, a media outlet, I mean, a, or a platform. I, have, I kind of, I'm going to let you explain what this is because it's so new and so fresh and i'm still trying to figure out what it all means uh hutsy tv h-u-d-s-y tv which is a streaming service based in the hudson valley that creates local and original content with local filmmak filmmakers and am i explaining this more or less correctly am i kind of on point here yeah you're pretty on point i, I think the basic way to explain it it's like a netflix locally it's, a, it's like a netflix for the hudson valley what we do is we curate and distribute content and the idea is to connect the community to the content that's being made um you know for us we recognize that you know we live in a world where we get pulled in so many directions come to my mm -hmm. website come to my website the bigger players have the formula down pack the netflix of the world the hulus of the world now why what would that look like on a local level on a regional level um so we decided to create a mm -hmm. platform for the Hudson Valley. And the idea is that if we can prove this model works, then we can adopt this at, in other regions. Yeah. Um, and that's the, that's the plan. You know, I think that like politics, right? It starts local. You should be yeah. focused on your local politics. You should be focused on your local creators, your local artists, your local musicians. And um, mm -hmm. and that's what we're doing. We're, we're trying to really show the region that um, there's amazing talent here. Yeah. First of all, hello, how are you? How are you doing? I haven't talked to you since I saw you at the Woodstock Film Festival, which is now over a month ago. Yeah. When yeah. when was that? October? Is it a, has it been a month? Yeah, it's been a month. It. I think it started September 28th, right? Somewhere around there. Um, oh my God. I have to look it was the start of the festival. Um, but yeah, it's been about Yeah, no, about October 1st. So it's yeah. been five, to, five, six weeks or so. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's been a while. Wow. Yeah, I, I've been pretty busy. You know, one of the things for us is, you know, we, we, so, uh, similar to like Netflix, right? Netflix has Netflix originals, right? So on our, our platform, we celebrate content that's made by other creators on the platform, but we also do our own content as well. And we've just been filming nonstop. You know, I'm, do, I'm doing a film about this local figure skater who is on the path to be the first Puerto Rican figure skater to represent the United States in the Olympics. Wow. Which is huge. I'm actually, what's after his, this or her name? His name is Jacob Sanchez. Um, Jacob he's, Sanchez. Four, he's 14 years old out of Newburg, Newburg, New York. And uh, Newburgh. Yeah. Yeah. Newburgh. <laughs> um, yeah, that's across the river, uh, Hudson River from Beacon, correct? That's, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly wow. right. And, and, and the story is amazing. It's, it's, it talks about the lack of diversity in figure skating. Um, it talks about the stigma behind figure skating. You know, mm -hmm. people believe that in order to be a figure skater, you have to be gay. That's not true. He's actually Did they not do. Gay. That's that, that's the words in the streets. You know, what I mean, oh, okay, whatever. But, yeah, I'm it's bored. unfortunate. Like, yeah, it's too bad. But, but and then again, he's only that. fourteen, so you know, he, he, there, that's that's true too. Early. But you know, the, 
the, the idea though that like there's so many stigmas behind uh figure yeah. skating and we talk about that and just also this Donna's truth that the the elephant in the room the lack of diversity that yeah. represents uh the United States and um I think that's more what it is isn't it is mm-hmm. is is you know when there's this huge push in our society we just had elections we mm-hmm. should acknowledge that because we're Definitely taping did. this on Thursday November 10th and we had a the midterm elections in the United States which are in you know the the off year uh, between presidential elections so or mm-hmm. two years and uh, we should acknowledge that that just happened for people listening internationally but i think it's pretty much been in the news even internationally i watched the german news i watched south african news because i grew up there and i lived in, the, in those countries so they're, they're, it's interesting and amazing to me how the rest of the world covers any kind of political events in the u.s Mm -hmm. you know we we, we're still very much on the sort of top of the the news heap if you will Mm -hmm. you know when it comes to international news and uh, i mean we still don't have all the results yet we still don't know if if the the um, house of representatives will go to the republicans or not probably will looks like it it is Mm -hmm. we still don't know if the senate um is going one way or another either and then we have the the next presidential election elections coming up in 2024. So it's every two years we have elections here, which is one of the things I really like about this country, you know. And you were saying about politics and and how politics are local, and I think that could never have that that's never been truer than it is now, mm-hmm. because we can that's do exactly so right. much more locally. That's exactly you know, right. like we have anyway. It's it, it, so so. Uh, tell me a little bit more about. Um, how, tell me how you got involved with Hutsi TV. How did that even begin? Yeah, so um, I'm a, I started off as a freelancer, you know what I mean? Uh, wearing many hats. And my business partner, Jesse Brown, came up to me because we were kind of circling in the same circles with production. And he was hearing about me and I was hearing about him. And he just asked, hey, let's have let's meet up. And he just pitched me this idea of, what Hutsi is and the idea of like reverse engineering how we look at each other as uh, filmmakers because filmmakers usually look at the other filmmaker as a competitor more than a colleague, right? Because mm-hmm. you're most likely going to, you could potentially take one of my clients. And that, that that's so true, right? Like we're all fighting for that attention, fighting for those clients. And I've always enjoyed collaboration. Like mm-hmm. I thrive on collaboration. Yeah. I feel like you know, we could do so much in this world with collaboration, right? So yeah. this idea of collaborating as artists resonated with me. So Momi told me he had me, he had me at collaboration, to be honest with you, when he said he wants to figure out how we can collaborate and get others to collaborate. I was in and uh, I, I immediately became the co-founder of Hutsi. Um, and we just started to like tell stories locally and try to build trust within communities. You know, I'm a person of color. He's a white male. You know, what I mean, there's something to that where I can step into communities that he knows he can't, mm-hmm. although he would want to step into those communities. But, you know, it, it takes Just a depends lot. on the time. Huh? <laughs> that, it depends on the time. <laughs> that's <laughs> time exactly right. Or night. <laughs> that's exactly right. But, you, you know, the idea that I had a we both connected to communities in different ways, but we saw how much and how beneficial that was going to be for the platform and the company. So mm-hmm. we just started to tell stories locally. We would have our own production productions on the side, but uh, we would work on Hutsi for free. And we worked on Hutsi for free until like for like four years. And then um, we proved, we had a beta site to prove the concept and then we were able to raise money. We raised enough money to hire uh, six full-time employees. Uh, we raised enough money to pay for the platform because streaming platforms are not cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, we also another part of this platform is it's free to download it's free to watch films um the only paid aspect to uh hutsi is for our originals but the reality is is when someone pays into hutsi they're not paying for an entertainment service they're paying for an idea of what's to come and the services that we're doing for the community we have a a paid apprenticeship program um the reason for that was because when i was coming up in the film industry I got more out of being hands-on on set than being in a classroom, being taught how to edit and how to film. Yeah. Um, so we, I knew, I knew instantly that we wanted to create a 
uh, apprenticeship program that's hands-on that focuses on diversity. And when I say diversity, I'm not just talking about people of color. I'm talking about uh, race. I'm talking about gender. I'm talking about LGBTQIA. I'm talking about elder folks, people that feel like they typically don't fit into this space is mm -hmm. what I want to focus on. Um, so, and that's what we're doing. This is our first full year. Um, last year was a beta for the apprenticeship, but this year was our full first full year as an apprenticeship program. They did amazing. Um, and uh, we also have a community content fund. So the money that uh, people pay into the sub subscription goes also to a community content fund. This year, we put $20,000 into the community to support uh, filmmakers' ideas. So they sent us proposals and we gave them money to support them. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I hope that answers Fascinating. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. You know, um, you know, kid from the South Bronx becomes filmmaker, becomes founder of a, a local streaming service, which is online, so it's accessible. But you have, there's now a new channel and a new outlet for local content from the Hudson Valley, you know, and, yeah. and that is, uh, that's, it's a great idea, you know, to, like, this is why I wanted to talk to you, you know, because I just wanted to, I just want to pick your brain, really, to be honest, um, you know, because as a musician, you know, we constantly have to look for funding as well. And crowdfunding has become very popular in in music. Um, and it's still it's still very much a, a big part of of um, um, how musicians like myself uh, make make ends meet or pay for touring, you know mm -hmm. we we've been talking you know my label and I've been thinking about this a lot, you know, and talking about how do we, you know, how do we create an environment where we um, are become profitable? And it's very, very difficult because the costs are, are, have skyrocketed, you know, like it, it's even worse than it was before the pandemic. And mm -hmm. uh, so the, the challenges are uh, just, they mount, they just more and more. And I'm, and I feel like, how do you stay motivated? But then when I'm listening to you talk about this, four years, it took you four years and you raised the money. You know, I mean, it's it's really impressive how how you did it. And I, I just want to go back to how we met at the Woodstock Film Festival. The reason that you guys were at the Woodstock Film Festival is because you had a film there. You had a couple of films there, correct, that you entered into yeah. the festival. And so you're using the film festival circuit in order to create awareness for the platform as well. And the movies that and short films, et cetera, that 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 you're broadcasting on the platform, Hutsi TV. Yeah, we had three films at the festival, which was pretty exciting, you know, um, it was tricky. This is not a knock at the festival, but they gave us like one of the. Sh can I curse on here? Yes, or you can say oh. whatever you want, man. Oh, okay. Um, so whatever the fuck they, you they, want. <laughs> there you go. Um, they gave us the shittiest slot. Um, they gave us a ten a.m. on a Sunday morning, burn. and I probably burn. just finished partying with you the night before. So like <laughs> it was. Um. So it was. It was. It was. It, it was tough, you know. And on top of that, we didn't know whether we sold out or not. They never gave us those numbers, and uh. But we found out we sold out, which was awesome. Um, to sell out at 10 a.m. is a great feeling. Um, mm -hmm. But it's just a testament to community, right? So so for the folks that are listening, the Woodstock Film Festival is within the Hudson Valley. It's Woodstock, New York, to be exact. And one of the things that I think we're, that's, we're holding strong and proving a lot of people wrong is that when, when we talk about local and local communities, uh, they come out. They come out and support. Yeah. You know, and that's what we've been proving every single event we've had. We've had, I want to say, I want to say like 10 events over the summer. We sold almost every, we sold out almost every event. We actually sold out some venues that hadn't sold out in two years because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, after us selling, the, selling out, they started to take us a little bit more serious. Because yeah. um, a lot of people still see, see us as the new, new kids on the block, which is yeah. totally fine as well. But, um, but that's that's the trust and the building that we need to do in order to really get to where we need to get to. Yeah. Um, I noticed I noticed that reading, you know, up about uh, about Hatsi TV that you go into local theaters, mm -hmm. movie theaters, and yeah. do screenings of the content in the theaters and create awareness for the platform at the same time. So you that means you have to get people into seats, which is the hardest thing to do. Jan, you know what's the best part How about our events? How do you do it, though? man? Yeah, I'm going to tell you. The, the best part about our events, though, and this is not to like boast or flex, but we don't tell people what we're going to screen mm -hmm. purposely because we know that when we tell, you know, 
Usually people, if you tell someone, oh, we're going we're gonna to have a piece about global warming, people, people are going to check out. They're like, no, nah, I don't want to deal with that, right? So we yeah. kind of make it secretive. So there's like an excitement to go and see what we're going to play. And another thing, too, is a lot of filmmakers never get to see their stuff on the big screen. And yeah. we recognize that. So like to allow, allow these local filmmakers to have their film on the big screen, not tell people what they're going to see. On top of that, support local artists in the, in the, in the vein of musicians, because we don't have the typical uh, screening. We have live musicians. We have an after party. We don't even do a Q&A. We tell people our Q&A is the party because you know, some people could be very long-winded and we don't want to take that energy away. So the moment, the moment it, it, it ends, we're partying. Yeah. Um, and that, and that, and that's, what's been our, 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 our secret sauce is that we're creating an experience when it comes to screenings. We couldn't do that at the film festival because we had no control over that, but had we had that opportunity, we would have, right. Cause we are trying to create a style with screenings that feel different. And, um, um, and yeah, we want to, we want people to see things that they usually wouldn't press play on to give them a different perspective. And we got great responses. People would tell us that piece was amazing and would be honest with us. I would have never pressed play if I saw that on my phone or my TV, but being forced to see that and recognizing, man, that was a really important content to watch, or it was a great piece of content to watch is something that has been really fun and been working for us. But also the big thing for us is supporting local businesses, like the local theaters, usually got after parties at a local business across the street on a Wednesday. So they're getting like 200 people in their place. Um, and then there's musicians who they, you know, a lot of musicians don't get to perform in front of 200 people. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that's something that's important to us. So that's what we've been doing is trying to support the arts in general when we have an event. Yeah. Amazing. I love it. Um, do you, do you find that the, uh, what you put in front of people goes over different than you expected like how do you how do you gauge that how do you how do you figure what to what to put in front of them like and we what just, we just we just wing it we really, we really do in fact some, some one of event one event we put so one of, one of the things we also do is we try to put music videos in between films as like a transition oh, i got some i got some content for you oh i love that i do actually i love love high the transitions i know it was that was Thank done you. a couple of years ago, but that was a, a great song and uh, very well shot. I just wanted to point that out. It was a great. I love that. I love that video. Um, and yeah, go ahead. Keep. T Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, you know. No. We, yeah. We shot that in, in, in the city. Yeah. Um, I saw that. In Brooklyn. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, I just that's a that's so funny that you mentioned that because I was just thinking about that video and and how it I, I, I feel like it should should be, you know, it should get a lot more like attention you know, um, and, again, and that's, it's one of those things, you know, it's one of those things. And and that's exactly right. And so that's the reason why we also built Hutsi. We were seeing films that only had a couple of hundred views, a couple of thousands of thousand views. You know, we know we have a pipeline, not only to New York City, but the whole Hudson Valley. Way more eyes need to be seeing a lot of this content, whether it's music, whether it's films, whether it's short films. And one of the issues that we recognize is that people are just getting pulled in so many directions. And whether it's algorithms, whether it's a saturated platforms so how do we get more content to be seen we just build a platform and drive all that traffic to one platform and that's what we've been doing and honestly that's when it was what has been really helping not only filmmakers but the artists as well which has been really awesome to experience as we build this i i love this i love what you're doing so so i do i quickly got to acknowledge for the love high for my uh, music video love high yoel cassell uh, who is a choreographer, director, who I'm working on a separate project with. Um, he actually put me, and he's been on the podcast. He's been on the, he was on the show a month ago or two, a couple, a few weeks ago. And he connected me with a, again, this is, a, you know, here we go, collaboration, right? Because I called him up and I said, hey, I think you would be really good to choreograph this, this video. Um, how, how do you feel about it? He said, you couldn't break away from, he, he's a professor at BU now, and mm. he couldn't break away from it at Boston University. And um, so he put me in touch with uh, a, a young filmmaker named Claudina Astramovic. Mm. I'm saying that right, I think. <laughs> and uh, she founded a, a DP, director of photography, Wyatt Ward. And that's how, and then they, they found the dancers. And, and that's how we put this together, you know? So it was, it was um, again, collaboration, connection, 
and the experience of it. So that's I just wanted to acknowledge the uh, the the people involved in that video. Um, but getting back to what you were saying about coll- collaboration, fast, can, and, I, can I can I can I just yeah. go back to love high because I have I have a, I have a deep question. Like, yeah, sure. What was the pro- what was the process behind love high? What made you write that song? Because the words are really powerful. The visuals are very powerful as well, but like, what was the reasoning behind that? So the initial idea was, you know, came from a a very, uh, very, very hot, like, love affair mm. that I started a few years ago um, with a person that shall be unnamed, who, because he's <laughs> also not, un, not an unknown person. Mm-hmm. Um and but you know i i'm i'm very good friends with him now and i'm deeply grateful for the inspiration thank you very much uh one of these days i'll divulge who it is it doesn't really matter but it but then again it does because i mean it really gave me this idea of what is how does connection happen like how does passion turn into you know love or just into sex is it mm-hmm. you know can how does it become how does it become more than that? Mm. So, and the song explores, you know, then I had this melody for the da 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 You know, I had that like hook in my head. I'm like, how do I use this hook? This is a hook. Mm. This is a hook. How do I use it? You know, and I have song ideas and I'll just record them if I don't use them right away. And I'll come back to them because they just stick with me. Or I'll mm. just, like, I have like, I have tons of ideas. And then, you know, sometimes I'll just go through those ideas, you know, and see if there's anything there that I can turn into a song. So I had this situation with this person and I had this idea for this, this melody. And I was like, oh, that's okay. It's a love. It's a love. He actually, and he actually helped me finish it. Mm. You know, he actually kind of not, you know, he he made a suggestion as to, you know, to leave out like a syllable here and a syllable there. And, you know, it, it turned into what it turned into Um, because I wasn't quite sure how to involve the, use the word love specifically mm. with that descending mel- melodic line because it, it, it sounded like it was too busy for me and you know he was like oh just take one out take one he so he simplified it and at the same time you know the then then when when it came time to make a video because it we wanted it to be a single um because it was it's on my record in tandem which i was working on in in south africa at the time this is in 2018 when it, when that record came out and uh um so i had all the uh, all of that stuff worked out. The, the song was recorded, and then it felt like, oh, uh, you know, this would be, this would make a great, this would make a great video. And then, um, so, but going back to your question, you know, the the inspiration was a situation, and that, you know, you're not quite sure what it's going to turn into. You know, there's all this mm-hmm. like fire, you know, between these two people, but mm-hmm. does it turn into something permanent, or is it just like an, you know? Like, does it burn out really fast? And mm. and it turned out to just, you know, burn out. But mm-hmm. at the same time, there was an extremely strong personal connection. So with the, w- that we still have, but with that, with, uh, you know, we don't, we never know. Like, you know, when you meet somebody and you have this initial connection, how does it, what does it turn into? And I'm kind of going through something similar, you know, where I'm, where you you just don't know and mm-hmm. and there's a there's all these question marks and what will this turn into and so the the song really focuses on on that initial sort of burn you know that initial mm-hmm. flame and and then the things working against that flame you know it's amazing I, I, and the reason why I asked too is just because I feel like even when like hearing you talk about this song makes it even more timeless mm-hmm. I feel like so many people can resonate to what you're saying right now. And I get that from that song, listening to it, but having you explain it, for me at least, makes it even more of a timeless piece where 10 years from now, 20 years from now, that song is still relevant, you know? And Thank that's you. the beauty about art and music. Yes. And you did a great job, man. I just wanted to Thank put you. that out there. Yeah, and then, you know, for the video, we used this this concept of, that people turn into different people, you know, and mm. they they switch gender and they switch, uh, you know, uh, ethnicity and mm-hmm. and they sort of all kind of 
intertwine. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's like a it's a constant motion video, so there are no edits. You know, there it it it's supposed to. So yeah, she did it. Um, she did an amazing job, Claudina. Actually, she did a great job. Like she had a fantastic idea uh, for this for that video. So thank you for for asking about that. I appreciate that. No, yeah, it was great. I was you know when I go into these type of like interviews and I think it's so important to like just research who you're you know although and you know for those that are listening, Jan. It was an instant connection. I spoke to you for hours. I'm talking about to the point where the, I spoke to you like almost three o'clock in the morning one night. It was yeah. just like, you know, and uh, your energy was just so on point and great that it was just, you know, I felt connected to you just based yeah. off of just a human you are and just uh, just wanted to point that out. So just, yeah, man. Plus, we also have the Bronx connection. So that there, was our there was like... A- there was a that was our jumping off point because <laughs> I lived in the Bronx for 20 years. In fact, until last year when I moved to Queens. Um, but I lived in different parts of the Bronx for my entire time in, in New York City, you know, the mm-hmm. entire time that I've spent here. You know, there were like three weeks in Brooklyn at the very beginning, you know, that yeah, Flatbush. But uh, and then I moved to the Bronx and I was like, I had no idea where I was going, you know. <laughs> I, I had no idea. Um, but let's talk about the Bronx for a little bit, you know, because, yeah. you know, it it's still like it's uh, it had a strong I think it had a very strong influence on who I've become as a human being, you know, uh, because it's in the beginning moving to New York. I mean, you grew up in the South Bronx, so it must have been yeah. even harder for you because you were a child. I mean, I came to New York as an adult in my 20s and and uh, but it was still really tough, you know, just those first couple of years and being in the Bronx and. You know, I mean, it was very, very exciting, but it was also very hard to to mm. build a career, make connections, and and it's still difficult. You know, like you still run into challenges every day in 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 this career that we've chosen. You know, which mm-hmm. is a beautiful thing to do the thing you love to do the most. So we have to acknowledge that we're very lucky, but I think we work our asses off. Mm-hmm. to 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 get there you know so i want to know a little bit about how you grew up in the south bronx where did you live what part of the south bronx mm-hmm. what was your family life like and uh yeah. tell us tell us yeah yeah so so when you say tough it wasn't tough for me it wasn't tough for me for several reasons i was born into the bronx right so like you knew what nothing seemed else. tough mm-hmm. exactly right that's all i knew yeah you know i was i was what they called or considered a project kid so i was raised in the projects mm-hmm. come from a single parent home my mom had seven kids Jeez. i was the second youngest and uh you know it was it was it was cha- that was challenging for my mom for us it was natural you know we just act a fool and give her a hard time when we did but you know she did a great job doing what she can with what she had and my mom was you know she had chronic asthma she had arthritis so she was very limited to the things that she can do as a human which put it put made life a little harder for her, I'm sure, but she did a great job doing raising us and not exposing us to the difficulties that she had going for herself. But um, yeah, you know, what I mean, I grew up with in a, in a tough environment. You know, what I mean, drug dealers. I was, I remember, I remember uh, seeing people dead on the ground, and I jumped right over them because that's just what we I was used to and. It's crazy to say that out loud, but I don't but mean that, to laugh, but you know, but that was what life was. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, I was raised in the eighties and nineties and, mm-hmm. um, the crack pet uh, epidemic yeah, right. Right, was a huge thing. And, um, my dad actually, we eventually turned into a crack addict. Um, mm-hmm. I don't even know if that's the right terminology to use, uh, turned into, but unfortunately he was part of that. Um, so didn't have my father in my life and, um, my brothers, because we were so poor, my brothers at the age of like 14, 15 started selling drugs because, you know, Bobby down the block who had hoes in his sneakers is now pulling up in the limousine. Um, and that is yeah. something that we all dream of. And uh, so, you know, my brothers sold drugs. My brothers were actually one of the biggest drug dealers in the Bronx at one point. Um, um, I'm going to make vividly, a movie about that. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty wild. You know what I mean? I vividly remember the 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 federal agents breaking down our door um at the age of eight i knew what a tap phone was um uh because the way tap phones were back then they would make the sound before you 
put the phone to your ear. So it would make like, and then you get the dial tone. But since I was so small and I was closer to the phone, my brothers would make me pick up a call. So I would hear it. And then they then I'll pass them and I'll nod. My goal was to just nod if I heard it and yeah. say no, not no if I didn't hear the tone, the, the dial tone oh. shift. Wow. But like these are the things that were still normal for me, right? Like, um, unfortunately, I don't and I think as I've gotten older, I've recognized how you know that has affected who I am today. But um, but yeah, you know what I mean? I I, I saw a lot. I saw a lot in the South Bronx. Unfortunately, it was normal for me. Um and yeah, you know, I think that uh, it, it's not easy to, it's not easy to, to, to it's not easy to be raised in a, in, a, in a place where you're kind of confined to or limited to um, so many things. Um, I remember we had elevators in my building. Actually, I was reflecting on this this morning because I, I had a feeling this conversation was going to get brought up. Um, we had elevators. I started dating a girl when I was 15 years old and she lived in a better, better area in the Bronx, a better building. Actually, she lived in the doorman building in the Bronx. That was new to me. Um, but I never, I never forget her elevators had digital numbers in the elevator and that blew my mind. That made me realize, oh my God, there's a world outside of the world I'm from that what made me realize that was just the digital numbers that she had in her elevator that also was playing music, right? Like her elevators also played music. Um, it was things like that, that it was just like, as I started to get older, I was realizing, oh man, there's a world outside of where I'm from. And, uh, and it's crazy to say that knowing that I was 15 years old, you know what I mean? 16 years old, you would have thought that I would have been exposed to that way sooner, but I wasn't. Um, but I think that also recognizing and realizing the lifestyle that my brothers lived, my dad, um, I knew that I didn't want to go that route. That was not the route I needed to go in order to get out of where the, the, the lifestyle that we were living. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what I did. You know what I mean? I ended up going to school in Long Island and um, dropped out to intern at a major label. And Right, uh, and we got to talk about this too. Yeah, and then, uh, then I became an A&R at that major label um can you and, talk about uh, the label I, I don't have nothing good to say about them that's the reason why i'm like trying to like i'm holding i told i think i've told you who it was but yeah i worked at a major and yeah. you know i guess one of the clues i would give is um one of their artists was beyonce never heard of her yeah is it a boy or a girl i don't know it's <laughs> a good question um i think she's married to like this singer. rapper yeah. Or is he a rapper? Um, is he? I think he's I both. I don't know. He might be. He might be Pope. Yeah, that's exactly right. An entrepreneur. Um, <laughs> but no, yeah. So, but yeah, living in the South Bronx, to just go back to that, was, you know, it was normal for me. As I've gotten older, as I go back, I'm like, wow, I can't believe this is the environment I lived in. Um, but I saw a lot at an early age. The South Bronx forced me to grow up way sooner than I should have. Mm -hmm. And that's just the honest truth. You know what I mean? Um, I love playing with GI Joes and all of that, but that wasn't really important anymore. The moment I got to a certain age, I needed to make sure that I knew people in the neighborhood so that I was safe. So I would be outside all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, I mean, you have a fascinating story, you know, it's, this is exactly why I wanted to talk to you. Um, and I love what you've turned it into and it says a lot about who you are. It says a lot mm -hmm. about your character, you know, that you're able to overcome this and, we all have that. We all have that in some way, some way or another, in some shape. We have challenges, especially in our youth, that shape our character and mm -hmm. that make us go one way or another. You know, mm -hmm. and sometimes both. Sometimes we're going. You know, mm -hmm. our, our, we leave the 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 road that we're supposed to be on, and we come back to it. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's it can be very confusing, but. Um, but yeah, it's 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 amazing to talk to someone that you know lives lived in a city that I where I also had to learn the street. Like you have mm -hmm. to you have to figure out. But you know, so I had I had the benefit of living in Hamburg, Germany, mm -hmm. um, in the nineties, and I lived um, you know when I was in in high school there, 
Um, and I lived by myself when I was 19, mm. 19 years old, um, because the family situation made it so, you know, mm. I, I, it just had to happen that way. Um, but it was, it was hard, you know, it, it was, it was very, very difficult. Uh, mm. but you know, it's like that, what you were saying about, you have to, you have to grow up a little earlier than, than you think. You know, then yeah. you then you should you should, you know, because. But hey, then the other the other path to that, or the other effect of of that is that you become street smart and you you learn about people a lot sooner, mm-hmm. and it it also protects you, I think, later in life. And so I I I think you have to kind of you have to take the good with the bad there, you know. Um, I want to talk a little bit about how you went from working in the music business, uh, working for a major with major artists, or you know, mm-hmm. one of the biggest ones in the world, um, to filmmaking. So, and how what, what sparked? I mean, the music thing, you know, I can I can see like being coming from the your background, you know, you you probably knew what the street. What what was moving the street, which is why you became an A and R person, artist and repertoire, um, who you know, and A and R people in the music business. For those of you that don't know, uh, uh, sign artists, they find artists, they you know find the right music for the artists. Um, you know, they can be very involved in the making of the record. You know, it's a lot like um, like a producer on a film set. Um, mm-hmm. I think right. I mean, that's a pretty good comparison, right? Uh, you yeah. know, the producer of the produces the music, but the A and R person also has a big part in what kind of record it ends up being. Mm-hmm. You know, so can you talk yeah. a little bit about going into music, leaving music for film, and how you got into film and how those two mediums mixed? Yeah. So just real fast, when I was younger, I manifested being in the music industry. Um, I say, say that say that again because I lo- I love talking about manifestation. Oh, manifestation is everything. Oh, it's so important. It's so important. I manifested being in the music industry. Um, I was 11 years old. I went to Randall's Island. I rode bike with my best friend. And Lollapalooza was happening. Snuck in. Big music festival in the US. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I snuck in. And who was playing? Naughty. Naughty. (laughs) And the the (laughs) band that was performing was is Metallica. Never heard of them. Didn't know who they were. I just saw people going bonkers for these guys. So I went bonkers for these guys. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, I fell in love with them. And I thought I was going to be the next Kirk Hammett. And somehow got a guitar. To this day, I'm trying to remember how the hell we, my mom got me a guitar. We were dirt poor. So I'm still trying to figure that part out. But I somehow got a guitar and I would practice all the time. And I would practice with my best friend David to the point where we thought we were going to be the next Metallica and you know the tricky part is when someone sees me at first glance you you automatically box me into hip-hop R&B seeing someone like me hold the guitar you're thinking I'm going to church you're not putting going to rock band practice that's not <laughs> that that is, that is not what you're attaching me to a uh, guitar um and I was going I was trying my best to be the next Metallica and that obviously was never going to happen but um the idea of just music and just witnessing how artists and music can change a crowd right uh and the reason why I say that is because I walked in and I snuck into Lollapalooza Metallica was setting up and so I saw a, a calm crowd then Metallica started playing and I saw that crowd like that snap into this totally different space and it blew my mind and i wanted that but i say that because then as i started to realize i was not going to ever be a ne- the next metallica or the next kirk hammett um i did always say to myself i'm going to find my way in this music industry and so when i went to college i started to really explore this idea of what my place would be in the music industry and then this internship came up and I said, you know what? I'm an intern. I'm in year three of college. Time, you know, is op- time is opening up for me, so I can just see what happens. 
And then I realized that this internship was going to lead to something bigger within the company. Um, and that's what I did. The moment I interned, I got a job. And the next thing you know, I moved up to an A&R. Um, and I love the idea of becoming an A&R for a major label. It was like a dream. In fact, a lot of people from my neighborhood thought I made it. Um, but then I also started realizing how fucked up the industry is, how I was a pawn in this system. And, you know, you're talking, I'm 22, 23 years old, right? So like, I'm still young, but also recognizing how I can't tell artists what they're signing. Like I was instructed to never talk about the contract when it comes to an advance, if they want, if they have questions, tell them to go get a lawyer, have the lawyer figure that out. I can never tell them that they were getting the shitty part of the deal. I can never, that was not even like a option. Um, and that really killed me. It like sucked the soul out of me. And then I started to like really just resent, I just couldn't stand working there anymore. And, and that was when I started to realize I need to do something about this. Like, what does that look like? And I automatically thought about managing. And then I was like, all right, so I'm going to start managing artists that don't know what the hell they're signing to protect them um, with the shitty contracts that they were giving out. Um, but then I instantly realized that a lot of these artists can't even afford to pay me as a manager because they don't have the money or the means to uh, hire a manager. Um, so I was forced to start, you know, taking on like bigger jobs as far as like artists and, um, that was when I realized, you know, I can make this work where I'm uh, working with bigger names and helping folks that are trying to break through to the industry and are being getting offers, but they just don't know uh, the contracts they're signing or the deals that they're signing. And um, and that's what I did for a while, um, you know, and I actually was able to travel the world doing what I did managing and it was an amazing experience, but at the same time, it was exhausting. Um, it was exhausting in so many levels, but I think the biggest part about being a manager to a big artist is um, you, you, you're you a small fish. And bigger managers tend to poach your artists all the time, especially when they know you're a smaller manager. Um, and that's what something that I would deal with all the time. I, I, was, I felt grateful and lucky that the artist that was the artist that I was managing was faithful to me, but um, and I can believe. You, can that. you say who who that was? Yeah, so it was Tyle Cruz. Tyle Cruz. He was a pop singer. Okay, I I don't UK. I don't know who that is, but that doesn't mean anything. No, yeah, he he had, he had a, a couple of big hits. He broke out, and his his rock star album broke out here in the states. But um, but yeah, you know, what I mean, long story short, it it, it you know it was a great experience but at the same time it was also it was exhausting and uh, i started to really feel burnt out with trying to you know really not know if i had a job tomorrow you know what i mean all it took was like the right person to really sweet talk my artist to get him to sign with him and then my artist drops me you know what i mean and um i was really relying with just that one artist to really you know and and that was probably a uh, a mistake on my end, but you know, if I'm going to give someone hundred percent, I'm going to give them 110%. I don't want to manage a bunch of different artists and just, you know, yeah. I just didn't want to do that. Um, mm -hmm. so then in that mean, in that, in that process, I started to like fall in love with like music sets and like seeing from it going from the beginning to the finished product. And that was what really started to really trigger my interest into the film industry um but i was at a weird age i was like 25 26 at the time and i didn't know whether there was a place for me in the film industry because the people i would meet were either really young straight out of high school in college 19 20 or i would meet old dudes and they're like 50 60s and they've been in the industry for decades and so i was at a weird age bracket where i didn't know whether i i could do it right um and at the time there wasn't YouTube like that. Um, so there, it was not like I had access, like people have access now and gear wasn't what it is now. Um, but what really got me to really dive into the space is I recognized no one that looked like me was holding a camera. And I said to myself, you know what, what would, what would that challenge look like if I actually 
did whatever it took to get into the film industry and be a director, be a filmmaker, a, a DP. And that's what I did. I, you know, ended up, you know, not renewing my contract as a manager. And I went to uh, film school, which was a waste of money. Um, <laughs> and I, I ended up just going on like, on, and YouTube started to ramp up a little bit. So I would like find things on YouTube. And then I had a buddy of mine who had a film company that allowed me to like really get into his space and go hands on, which fast forward to what I'm doing now is the reason why I have an apprenticeship program was because of the experience I had with my good friend that allowed me to go on set with him and, and really just see and learn firsthand. And that's what really got me going into the film industry. And um, all I cared about was really empowering people that look like me, knowing that if I can have the opportunity to tell a story, what kind of story would that be? It's usually the stories that aren't told, the stories that fall between the cracks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, fast forward now, I'm building a company that is not only empowering uh, a company, but empowering a community in a region. Do you do you feel like the the film, you know, it it's so interesting because there's so many different facets to your <laughs> career development and your entrepreneurship, you know, is the one through line to me. Mm -hmm. Like it it's you going, well, if they can do that, then I can do that. Somehow mm -hmm. I'm gonna figure out how to, you know, and I, I love that. Mm -hmm. Like I just I love that energy, you know. But uh, out of all of these different things that you've done now that you've arrived at, at um, you know, yet another stage, mm -hmm. um, was, is there, is there one thing that you loved that, that was, was really, um, you know, made you just forget everything else like filmmaking itself or working with the camera, working with, with talent or like, can you, can you speak to that? Like what's something that, uh, what's your favorite yeah. part about all of these, this, cause there's so much different. Yeah. So, so like, the, yeah. So like when I'm going into telling a film, like telling a story, a lot of films I do is like humanistic documentaries, I'm telling someone's story. Um, it's really trying to find a way to not imp like when I'm filming, I'm filming with the intention to impact that person, family or situation opposed to impacting the world. And I know that sounds crazy, but in that moment, I get a I get I get satisfied knowing that I'm able to help that person. Perfect example, I did a film called Transition that was in the film festival. And this was about someone that was transitioning and they didn't tell their parents and they didn't know how to tell their parents. Mm -hmm. All while being born with a, a, a syndrome that affected their body they they had their legs were webbed together their hands were webbed together their mouth was webbed together and their birth parents they were that was from africa uh said they couldn't take care of her anymore at the time it was a he solomon they was like they, we can't take care of him anymore um so they put him up for adoption and the person who ended up adopting him was the nurse that was nursing him in the hospital and uh you know they they told her that might only live two years if that and they ended up amputating his legs uh creating fingers creating a mouth and um fast forward 21 years later um he's still here she is here um and uh when she was 14 years old she did tell her parents that she was gay and her parents her her adopted parents uh had a hard time with that they're like hey you're black you're disabled and now you're saying you're gay like you're just adding <laughs> levels of difficulty difficulty Piling to your life wow you know what i mean and they're just like the, these conservative parents um black folks in a white suburban suburban neighborhood and um they were fearful of her life mm -hmm. but which then fast forward to when she turns 21 um now she's transitioning and um she's afraid to tell her parents based off of how they reacted to her when she said she was gay so we document a whole year of her hiding this from her parents and um showing her going into public dirty bathrooms to change um but also talking about her big dreams in life and where she wants to be and 
Um, but also documenting her parents who had no clue what we were doing, right? So our excuse to them was People's Magazine did a big article about their story. Um, and uh, we just basically said, we're just trying to, you know, talk about what's happening now with uh, Salomon is what they were referring to her at the time. And um, and the way we broke the news to the parents is we showed them the documentary. Yeah. We showed them what she was going through to hide it from her parents because she was afraid that she wasn't going to be accepted. And for those folks that do know about the transgender community, um, suicide is a really big thing. Um, a lot of it is based off of not feeling accepted and, and, and the parents not accepting them and kicking them out. And I think that that's an issue, you know, and, um, that was what we was also fearful of. That was a big chance that we were taking. Um, but one of the things I also wanted to do is not villain. I didn't want to make the parents villains. It was real easy to make mm -hmm. them villains in this film. And I mm -hmm. didn't do that because mm -hmm. I strongly believe that they were going to accept her. And I also knew that they just needed to process all of this. Mm -hmm. um, and they did. And the beauty about this story was that they did accept Stella. And, you know, Stella can now wake up as who she is. And, um, you know, Stella's a, an amazing human, but also the parents are too. And so we've been, you know, having talks and, you know, doing the film festival route so that they can educate people on their experience too, because I think people also need to understand that it's not easy for parents as well. And like, what is that like to process that and how should, and could you process that? So it's also a learning tool for a lot of parents that probably are going through something similar. Um, and you know, it, it's a very emotional, but amazing piece. Um, and I'm excited. I'm, and that's the type of films for me. What excites me is, is seeing that I can impact a family can impact a community with uh my lens you know what i mean yeah my camera that's what i get a high from it, it, amazing and at the woodstock film festival um everyone was talking about this movie yeah it's called transition mm -hmm. yeah yeah um so so how can people watch this film now can they watch this on hutsy tv uh, they can. I think right now we put that on pause because it's going is doing the film festival um yeah. circuit, um, um, and then it it most it's going to be on the platform for sure. Um, yeah. the actually there is a there is a version up there right now, but it's not the finalized version, and we purposely did that because a lot of film festivals don't want like exclusive like you know showings, and yeah. So uh, once we finish the film film festival circuit, then. We, we have like the finalized video out there on the platform. Yeah, I have another um, uh, uh, filmmaker guest, two of them um, that are coming on. I think it's next week. I have to look at my calendar. It's been so crazy. Uh, but they sent me a screener and and I think I have to watch it before tomorrow night, you know. So the way it works, folks, if you're interested in this. So when before something comes out, you get a you get screeners. They're called screeners. Mm -hmm. And you get to see the film before they're actually released, so that you can, you know, um, interview the the uh, or talk to the uh, the filmmakers. And um, but I do remember at the Woodstock Film Festival that people talked about this movie, you know. And I and I and so you know, for me as a being there as a musician, I mean, I've worked in film, but you know, being there as a musician was was fantastic because I get to be like the fly on the wall because mm -hmm. the filmmakers are first of all, I love hanging out with fucking film people man they just throw the best parties okay first of all mm -hmm. they throw the best parties and the the parties at the, at the woodstock film festival are always amazing the guys from gigantic pictures you mm -hmm. know you've you've met them mm -hmm. fabulous good times good times uh but it it's a really fun environment you know you're surrounded by artists mm -hmm. and so you know for someone like me it it's the the, the it's an an environment that I'm very, very comfortable in because I'm around other creative people, mm -hmm. and uh, and and you know, the, you and I connected. I don't even know who introduced us. I think we just sort of gravitate like energy. You know, energy works yeah. that way. You gravitate towards towards each other, and and I do remember people talking about this movie transition, and and I was like, what's that about? And someone told me what it was about, and I thought, holy, you know, that's going to be hard to watch. It's going to be mm -hmm. hard to watch, but now it's kind of like what we were, what you were 
telling me earlier when I was talking about Love High, the music video, as you're talking about this movie, and I haven't seen it, um, I I want to see it even more now. Mm. Because I love the fact that you're looking at both sides of the coin, mm -hmm. which is what most most uh you know a lot of content does not do you mm -hmm. know it's very one-sided it's a lot like our politics yeah you know it's very one-sided you know you're either right or you're wrong you're either on this side or you're on that side but when you see both sides and when you're able to illustrate that to the viewer or the listener that's when you have breakthroughs of understanding mm -hmm. and that's when you can get past any kind of your own, um, you know, inhibitions or judgments or whatever, whatever you may have. I think this is this is why, this is what we have to do. We have to do that. You know, we have to show both sides of of the coin. You know, and 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 it sounds like you you did that. You know, um, man. That's I mean, I could right. talk to you for hours, like we did. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we we have we do have to. We only have so much time, and I'm actually like doing a house project. At the moment, awesome. at my apartment, yeah, we're putting in, putting in sliding doors in the, nice. um, yeah, and and doing it ourselves. There you go. That's the and best it's part. a lot of fun. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot of fun, and I mean, it's a lot of work, you know. But you learn so mm -hmm. much too about like how that kind of thing works. So uh, we're gonna get back to that in a little bit. But um, I want to talk to you a little bit, uh, a couple more things that that um, I want to I want to ask you. Um, so Hudson Valley is uh, Pete Seeger country. You yeah, know, that's I'm right. Sure you, I'm sure you know who Pete oh, Seeger was. 100%. So I had the the great fortune of meeting the guy and being that's at awesome. his house and talking to him. And this was way before I did the the podcast. This was, you know, I mean, my God, this must be, this must be six, seven, eight years ago. And he was 92, I think, at the time. He died at 94, I think, if I'm... Mm -hmm. So Pete Seeger... He, you know, they call him the the godfather of folk. Uh, he had a long, 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 long career as a musician, banjo player, songwriter, um, singer. He started many festivals, many music festivals in the Hudson Valley, Strawberry Festival. Oh, my God, there were so many of them. I've played mm -hmm. a few of them. And um, he, he also started the Clearwater. That's right. Which, which is largely responsible for drawing attention to the pollution that the Hudson River was suffering from in the 70s and 80s, and even maybe even before that. But he's largely responsible for cleaning up that river. And that still continues, that that organization. That mm -hmm. um, and, and you guys work with them, or you, there, I saw that there's content on Hudson TV. There is. That, but I, we, we've, we've actually been in conversation with his sister, um, about doing something. Um, Before you tell me about that, and, and I met his kids, kids and grandkids too. And I, there's here's a cool story. Okay, so we're driving up to his house. It's up up a hill. It's at the top of a hill. I mean, this guy is like a wizard. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really kind of fantastical when you when you go to to Pete Seeger's home. And I was following him on in my car, and he was like, "When you." Listen, listen, young man, like, you know, when you, when you go up that, when you drive up that mountain, just mm -hmm. don't take your foot off the gas because it's winter. <laughs> He's like, don't slow down. <laughs> and I was like, yep, I think I get it. You know, I think I get it. And I didn't. And I stayed right on his ass, you know, like he was like flying up that that mountain. And I just stayed on his ass. I was like, just don't slow down. Don't get stuck. Don't get stuck. And we get to the top. And then, um, a little bit later, he went out and started chopping wood. Yeah, that sounds At about 92. right. 92. Sounds about right. I will right. never forget that visual and thinking, you know, I want to be like that when I'm 92. So anyway, that's my Pete Seeger story. No, your Pete Seeger is someone that, you know, he's a legend. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, you know, he the work that he's done for the, 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 the river and, you know, one of the reasons why he also built that ship, I guess you would want to call it, or uh, boat, uh, was to also perform on the river, right? Like, that was, like, one of his goals, and he was achieving that. Um, but, yeah, we're working on, you know, I can't really talk too much about it, because it's, but, you know, I mean, we're, we're, the plan is to do something on Pete Seeger, and I think that the, the interesting part is that a lot of the people that we've interacted with 
as far as making films and just people that we just are connected with are very close to him and his story. So it definitely helps with how we tell his story eventually. Um, but that's that's one of the plans. Pete Seeger's an amazing human. I unfortunately never got to meet him, um, but everyone I know around me has met him and I've heard nothing but amazing things in the work that he's done for the river um, and Hudson River. To be exact. And his history so. too, you know, if you can capitalize on that, meaning tell that story, uh, there's so much there. His stories are, were amazing. He started telling us stories and he was already um, uh, older, you know, he was, he wouldn't remember um, uh, short-term stuff. Like his short-term memory had kind of uh, suffered, but he was 92 mm -hmm. for God's sake, you know, but yeah. he remembered exactly where he was, you know, in 1932, Mm -hmm. like and what it looked like and what the weather was like and who was there mm -hmm. and like he would tell these stories it was it was just it was fascinating so i mm -hmm. used to actually do a cover of i still do sometimes uh of where have all the flowers gone which was one of the big hits he had and marlene mm -hmm. dietrich german actor uh, marlene dietrich uh 50, 40s 50s uh 60s a legendary german actress uh made the song famous in germany after the second mm. world war Sag mir, wo die Blumen sind, was the uh, the German translation. But uh, Pete Seeger wrote that song, Where Have All the Flowers Gone? So, and, and how, 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 did you how, how did you cross paths with uh, Pete Seeger? Because that's like a, that's a, that's a, a really interesting. Uh, good, good question. I believe it was my um, uh, a publicist, uh, Ann Layton, who who was booking or still, you know, she still does bookings for me here and here and there and, and publicity as well. She uh, she contacted someone at the festival to see if I could mm. perform, and I did. You know, it that's was awesome. yeah, that's awesome. No, yeah, he's a great human. Yeah. Um, was a great human, and uh, his yeah. legacy continues on which is amazing so you're so, working with his daughter you're saying his sister sister wow. I, yeah it's okay. his sister yeah it's his sister yeah mm. i'm pretty yeah. confident it's his sister mm. um which is exciting but at the same time um yeah we just got to figure it out you know what i mean there's a lot it's a touchy subject on, on, on doing his story and who wants to do it and who, who you know there's there's a lot of there's a lot of pieces to that. Um, I, I believe it. It's a legend, so you got to make sure you do it. it right. So that's where we're trying to wow. figure that out. Uh, well, I'd be happy to contribute a, a German version of that song. No, that's all. Yeah. That, uh, hey, I listen. would love to, man. I would love and, to. And just sort of, not to spin it back to you, but like, are you doing scores? Like as, as a musician, is that something that you've been doing or had the pleasure to do as far as uh, scoring films? Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I, it was been a dream of mine to score a whole movie. So, mm. you know, like write, let, let the, the movie inspire me to write a score mm. from beginning to end. Cause I've sung in movies, you know, I'm the, I'm a singing, the singing voice in, uh, in the movie about uh, Jeff Buckley and Tim Buckley called Greetings from Tim Buckley, which, which, uh, premiered at Tribeca in 2013, I think it was 2012. Yeah. And I have some songs in films, you know, as part of the soundtrack, you know, the most well-known one is probably Love You the Most, which was a, and was used to promote a movie called Married Young, which is an Amazon film, like a romantic, mm -hmm. romantic comedy. And um, so, but several others, you know, I've had, and, and I did score a short um, a few awesome. years ago. Um, and uh, it, it ran at a couple of film festivals and, um, you know, I would I would love to do that again. My God, I mean, that's like been a, been a dream of mine. But, you know, there's so many other things going on and you kind of forget like, yeah, oh, yeah, mm -hmm. right. Yeah. How do we do that? How do we do that? <laughs> but yeah, it's like you got to put yourself out there, you know, like you always got to just do, you know, right now I'm finishing a new album. It's finished. And, you know, we're we're doing the art. The artwork's finished, too. The master's finished. We're just about to start production of a vinyl CD and it's coming out in, in March and I'm going to be announcing an exact date soon, folks. Don't worry. It'll come. Um, but yeah, so, you know, it's always there's always something. But um, yeah, man, thanks for asking. Absolutely. I would love to. Well, no, yeah, you're just a talented human, you know what I mean? And it's as a filmmaker, creator, someone that's always looking into collaboration and how do we cross paths in the film world and music world, uh, it's something I'm always thinking about. So that's just me trying to find ways to cross paths with you and with the work that I'm doing Definitely. and we're doing. So, Definitely. So. 
Yeah, yeah. you and I are going to keep in touch no matter what. So yeah, this is, for sure. that's a that's a given. That's a given. And uh, but I got to let you go as much yeah, as I, I hate that. I just I actually I have to drive to Boston, so I'm like literally. Oh I, yeah, I do, we'll, gotta, we'll, I do it again. We road. will let you go. So <laughs> so uh, quickly, um, how can people find Angel Gates? online and how can people find Hutsi TV if they're interested in exploring this new uh, streaming platform yeah so the best way to find me is uh uh .tv. you know what i mean I, i'm on there my information's on there um if you want to find me individually uh you can find me on instagram mr underscore angel gates uh or just Hutsi tv um but yeah you know the idea is to really prove that models like this can work in other communities and it starts has to start somewhere so you know for people that just want to check us out go to hutsy.tv you download our app wherever you download any streaming platform that's the best part um and yeah just see the amazing content that's being made here because the content that's being made here could it could be seen anywhere you know what i mean it yeah. could be put anywhere so i think and a lot of it is free to, to watch correct a lot of it yeah so we have about over 300 films on there that you can watch for free which wow. is awesome yeah. Amazing. And quality, quality content too. It's not just, uh, just regular stuff. So, um, and we have music videos. So that's another thing too, for us is how do we celebrate musicians and artists? And that's one of the ways that we are trying to, we try to like support, um, musicians is, you know, mm -hmm. put the music on their, on a platform, put it on our events, uh, have performers perform, so yeah, you Looking know what I mean. Forward it's to something it, man. That, We're yeah, gonna do I, it. We're gonna do. Yeah, something. I would love. I love that. I, I definitely would love do that. Something. That's so. gonna be great. Yes, folks. And quickly, a uh, couple of announcements from my side as well. I will be playing in Youngstown, Ohio, this Sunday at Frenchies, uh, at five thirty, I think five thirty-six or so. And then I'm playing at a an autism autism awareness event the following monday that's so it's november 13th and 14th and the cw tv will will cover that so that's going to be on local tv over there and uh what else do i have to announce uh, there's always something but yeah you know you know where to find us folks making soundpodcast.com and you know where i am and we will see you next time and i want to thank angel gates my friend my my pal from the south bronx I'm like <laughs> proud to call you my friend. It's like so cool to have like people Not like same, you as man. friends, you know. Really Yon, man, I I really do appreciate you. I appreciate the work that you're doing, man. Keep it up. Thank I'm you. a big supporter, big listener now. Like uh I, I'm following you here on out. So and all right, man. I'm I'm a drive away, a phone call away. So you got it. I'm, I'm so glad the wind supporting. blew us together. Really, for real. That's so true. That's yep. so true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, folks. But yeah, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Angel. And thanks for listening, folks. And we will see you next time. Bye.